0: Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, practical Buddhism for the modern world. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hi, welcome to episode 15 of the Toward Light podcast. This week, I'm going to be talking about mindfulness of the body, this first foundation of mindfulness. Over the next several weeks, I'll be doing a series on this topic so we can really dive into this core teaching on mindfulness. And the reason I felt this was important to talk about are twofold. The first is that I use the word mindfulness a lot. And so I want to be really clear about what I mean when I talk about mindfulness. I also use the word practice or meditation. So I want to be really clear about what what am I talking about? What does this mean? The other piece for me that feels so important about mindfulness right now, always really, is that I can only change my patterning, my conditioning, my habits, if I'm awake, if I'm mindful, if I'm paying attention. So if I'm working to be an anti-racist, That's only going to be as successful as the quality of my awareness is. I've found for myself that mindfulness and anti-racism go hand in hand, and I want to talk some about that. Before I get into mindfulness of the body, though, it's important for me to talk about just the word mindfulness in general. In Pali, the language that the Buddha spoke, the word is sati. There's this connotation with sati of remembering to come back, remembering to be here. My current working definition of mindfulness is embodied non-judgmental awareness of the present moment experience. So in my body, I'm accepting of whatever's arising. I have this quality of awareness. So I'm awake. I'm not checked out. And it's about what's happening now. I'm going to read several quotes about mindfulness from different teachers to offer different perspectives, to offer different flavors, and just see if any of these click with you. Bhante Gunaratana says, Mindfulness is non-egoic awareness. Bhikkhuinalio says, Through bare Sati one is able to see things just as they are, unadulterated by habitual reactions and projections. Deepama said, Meditation integrates the whole person. Matthew Brensilver has said, What we learn is that nothing makes us blow over. Mindfulness makes our inner life safe. Deborah Eden Tull said, Mindfulness practice is our teacher of intimacy. Norman Fisher says meditation practice doesn't make your life worse, it makes it better. But it makes your life better the way most things that are lasting and important do, by a long and circuitous route. In the Pali Canon, the teaching on mindfulness is called the Satipatthana Sutta, Nikaya 10. the four foundations or four establishments of mindfulness. It's a map. It's an idea. It's a way that we can cultivate this quality of mindfulness. The four foundations are mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of Vedana or feeling tone, mindfulness of the mind, and mindfulness of phenomena. And today I'll be talking about the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of the body is how most of us in the West are introduced to mindfulness. We're often introduced by the breath or a body scan. In the teaching, there are several practices laid out to help us cultivate that. So I'm going to go into each of those briefly and then talk more generally about why being mindful of our experience in our body is so important, why embodiment is so important. The first practice is mindfulness of the breath. In the teaching, the Buddha talks about going and sitting under a tree and breathing in, knowing that you're breathing in and breathing out, knowing that you're breathing out. The breath is a place for many of us to start because it is a neutral thing that is constantly arising and passing away in our experience. So we can track it and we can start to learn this quality of awareness, this capacity of paying attention to something in our body without getting entangled in thoughts about it. Another practice that's talked about is mindfulness of our posture so whether we're sitting, standing, walking or lying down, bringing mindfulness into that posture, bringing mindfulness awareness into what is happening in our body. For sitting, maybe feeling the touch points with the floor, cushion or chair. For standing, feeling our spine, feeling our feet. For walking, feeling our joints bending and flexing. For lying down, feeling the earth supporting us getting curious, getting interested in what it feels like in the body in these postures and what it feels like as these postures change, as we transition from one posture to another. That brings us to the next practice that we can bring our attention to, which is mindfulness of daily activities. I talked about this in episode seven, if you want more on it. What this helps us do is bring our mindfulness into any part of our day. So whether we're eating, going to the bathroom, reaching for something, walking somewhere, changing postures, all of this is included in our mindfulness practice. Nothing is left out. We can bring our awareness into our body and notice what our body is doing throughout all of our activities. Then we come to the anatomical parts practice In the sutta, it's a list of 32 parts of the body that you repeat and start to deconstruct the idea of this fixed solid thing and instead sort the body out by parts. The simile that's mentioned in the sutta is if you have a bag full of different types of beans and you're sorting them out by type. That's sort of the same thing that we start to do with our body. We look at the different fluids, the different types of muscles and tendons, and just start to see that we're made up of all these parts and pieces. We're not this idea of a person that we really latch on to. Then there's the elements practice, which I talked about in episode two in detail, where we can break down our experience of the body into the four elements. We notice the parts in our body that are related to the earth element, solidity, hardness, the air element, movement, the water element, cohesion, fluidity, fire element, temperature. And finally, there's corpse and death meditation. So reflecting on the process of a decaying corpse, reflecting on our own deaths, We don't have access to charnel grounds or decaying corpses in the way that they did 2,600 years ago in northern India, but we still have ways through the internet and through books to look and understand the process of decay, to see that we too will come apart, we too will go back to the earth. This is Bhikkhu Annalio again. A central theme of the first Satipatthana is insight into the real nature of the body as a way of developing detachment. The first foundation of mindfulness really helps us connect with this idea of anatta, of not-self. When we're tracking our breath or our posture, our elements, we can see the impermanent, impersonal nature of being in a human body. We can see how much this system changes, that it's not fixed, that our identity is not fixed. The more that we get to know our body, the more that we bring mindfulness into our body, into the experience of this body in this moment, the more we develop true understanding of our experience. So, what can this look like in our daily life? If I'm somewhere and I notice that my heart is racing, that's information. I can see what's changed in my environment, what I might be responding to. I get to check in and see what's happening. My body is pointing me in that direction. My body knows something is happening or has some kind of response, and I can then bring awareness to that, which in turn can help me be more responsive in the world. When I practice mindfulness of breathing, I get to know my breath. So I can know when my breath changes, I can know when it's different. That gives me information that something might be going on. Or when I take a step back and I see my body as parts or elements, it helps me depersonalize things. So when I get a headache, I don't have to take it on as you gave yourself this headache or you somehow got this headache and this is your headache. I can see this as a headache that's arising. It's not personal. I can respond appropriately but I don't need to latch onto it or fixate on it. Right now, just for a moment, whatever you're doing, allow yourself to notice five things that are happening in your body. They might be automatic processes like digestion or breathing, salivating. There might be sensations that are painful or difficult. Maybe you're walking right now, and so you can feel some of your joints. Just notice, pay attention. Something that's helpful for me, too, is that when I am spending a lot of time in my day on a screen, or in a book, or whatever, that it's often useful for me to check back in with my body every once in a while. To remind myself that this is where I am. There's a line in the teaching where you can say to yourself, there is a body. We forget that. We get so cerebral. We get so lost in our thinking mind. And so coming back, knowing there is a body, it's a very useful base for exploration. So how does mindfulness of the body help us break habitual patterns or conditioning? I'm going to talk specifically about racism and anti racism, but this could be applied to any habit pattern that you have. Sometimes our habitual patterning is due to trauma responses that our body has held on to to try and keep us safe. And so over time, the more we practice, the more we start to learn, oh, this is the coping technique that my body learned when I was a child or when I was a young adult. I don't need this anymore but this is the pattern place my body always goes to. So I need to learn that and see that and respond appropriately. I recently finished reading an amazing book called My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies by Resmaa Menachem. In the book, he places so much emphasis in watching the body how does the body respond in cross racial interactions? He has a lot of practices to help settle the body. He says we heal primarily in and through the body, not just through the rational brain. I really appreciate his emphasis on somatic, felt, embodied experience. That in order to change this systemic racism, this white supremacy, We need to notice where it's lived in our bodies. We need to notice all of the generations that have passed this down to us. We need to notice ways that we can settle and make ourselves safe to do this work, to do this anti-racism work. He says, because culture lives in our bodies, it usually trumps all things cognitive, ideas, philosophies, convictions, principles, and laws. In many cases, it even supersedes human desires and needs. So a culture that I grew up in is a culture of politeness, how important it is to be polite. And that is a thing where even when somebody else bumps into me, I say I'm sorry first, even if they were at fault. I am so habituated to being polite, saying the right thing, that that's what my body immediately does. Those words come out of my mouth. I'm not even thinking about it. Notice for yourself, what are some cultural conditioning or habits that you have in your body? Another one that I have is because I developed breasts in middle school is I hunch forward a lot to try and sort of hide that. There was these mixed messages growing up about don't be too sexy, be sexy enough, very um, American messaging that we've gotten as women around how we present our bodies. But so my body is literally conditioned to curl my shoulders forward. So because I know that I need to respond appropriately and open myself up, I can't have true heart-centered conversations with others. I can't break through patterning if I'm literally closing down on myself. One thing that Resmaa Menachem talks about so much in the book is to bring awareness to the body whenever we're in cross-racial interactions. So if I am in a situation where I'm with a black person, to notice what's happening in my body, notice what my body's tendencies might be, find ways to settle my body. He offers so many practices around settling. The other day I was in line at the DMV forever and there came a point where there was a really uncomfortable conversation and I watched myself start to rock back and forth that I I wasn't intentionally doing it. I hadn't planned it but I knew that my body needed soothing and because I've practiced these tools it just automatically came to me my body knew how to settle itself. So throughout our day, whenever we're interacting with anybody, it's a curious, interesting practice to say what's happening in my body? How, if it's someone that we see regularly, how am I relating to this person today? Is it different from yesterday? What's happening? Get curious, get really interested. How does my body respond to other people? Not getting so much in the why, but just getting curious, what is happening? How am I relating to it? How can I care for it? How can I settle it if it needs settling and is available for that? Sometimes we notice unpleasant sensations in the body that are not going to change quickly, are not going to settle in the way that maybe we'd like. That's part of the practice too. That non judgmental piece of the practice, accepting it for what it is. I'm currently reading Mindful of Race by Ruth King, and I'm only about halfway into it. Maybe not even quite that. It's amazing, you guys. I'm getting so much out of it. So I wanted to share a few quotes from this too, as we're looking at transforming racism and how bringing mindfulness to the body can help with that practice. She says, the practice of mindfulness meditation supports us in experiencing more mental ease and harmony. It does not help us get rid of racial ignorance or ill will, nor will it erase anger or despair. Rather, it offers a way for us to slow down and investigate our experiences with care and wise attention. It supports us in bearing witness to our racial distress and conditioning without distortion, elaboration or judgment. Often when I have a racist thought or notice a shutdown in my body when I'm faced with a person of another race, I can immediately get into self-judgment and self-criticism. And so I really appreciate this part about that we bear witness without distortion, elaboration or judgment. So I notice I'm walking my dog I run into a black person walking their dog, we say hi, there's a little bit of tightness in my chest. Rather than making a whole story about that, I just notice, oh, there's tightness in my chest. What would settle that right now? Oh, like taking a breath and smiling at this person. Oh, now it's more settled. Interesting. So getting curious, getting interested, not judging. Another quote from the book, Meditation practice supports us in knowing from the inside out that we can rest in the body and use the breath as a calming inner resource despite external circumstances. The more we practice mindfulness of breathing, the more that we learn that we can settle with the breath, the more we can bring that into any experience. And there comes a point where the more that we've practiced, then when we're in a difficult situation and we take a breath, It links us back to all of those breaths that we've taken in the past, all of those moments of settledness, and we're able to rest in that more easily. Finally, she says, with consistency, this practice reprograms the nervous system to be at ease. We take our space and stand our ground. That's a really important piece about mindfulness of the body is that even though we are seeing the changing nature of the body, the depersonal nature of the body, we're also seeing all the ways that we're supported. We're also seeing this structure that we get to live in in this lifetime. And we can rest in that. We can rest in that support. To close us out, I'll just review really quickly what I talked about today it's mindfulness, this embodied, non judgmental awareness of our present moment experience which is talked about in the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness. The first foundation is the body, which we can access through specific practices, and we can connect with our body in any moment. There are different ways that we can bring awareness to our body. Sometimes we can put hands on the body, we can get a massage, we can move our bodies, we can dance. So it doesn't just have to be about sitting still, but finding different ways to let our body express, to connect with our body, to understand our body. And we can track any habit pattern in our body. We can get to know how our patterning and our conditioning shows up in our body, including racism. When we connect with that, we can then learn how to do something differently. We can then learn how to respond in a different way. But we can't do that without knowing our body. So just taking a moment, checking in again. What are five things you notice about what's happening in your body right now? Are they the same as before? Are they different? Even if they're the same, if you're noticing that your knee still hurts, is it the same intensity? Is it in the same spot? Is it the same quality of discomfort? Bring curiosity and intimacy and care into what you experience in your body in this moment, in every moment. Thank you so much for listening. The links are in our show notes. You can find me on Instagram at TowardLight108 and the website is TowardLight.net. If you have any questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Be well.